Chapter Nine of Sister Simon's Murder Case by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Nine. Jenny was alone, posed on the end of Sybil's bed. She could see herself in the mirror. The orchid dress was thin as a cloud and embroidered in white, and her hair fell in shining blonde waves to her shoulders. Sybil had given her a skillful makeup of lavender eyeshadow, a touch of rouge for the china shepherdess effect, but no powder. Roger will eat you up, Sybil said as she departed on a date of her own. He'll be back for more, I promise you. And don't try to talk much, just open your eyes wide. The mascara will do the rest. Now that Sybil was gone, Jenny was so frightened her stomach felt like an empty bubble under the tight-fitting bodice, but she practiced opening her eyes wide. It all seemed a little silly. She'd give anything if she didn't have to go. Carter, someone called out in the hall. Hey, Liz, telephone. Jenny bounded off the bed and over to the door. Tony, don't call her. She's asleep. I know it. I see her note on the board. But this guy really wants her. Is it Ted? No, some other fellow. Antonia, wrapped in a large towel, grabbed the corner as it slipped. You talk to him, will you, Jen? I'm dripping all over. Wow, do you look scrumptious. I feel awful, Jenny said. I wish you'd hurry up. The monitor isn't supposed to run around like that, and you're supposed to put Roger in the mushroom when he comes. Sybil told me I'll be there in a fresh paint job. Then hurry up. Okay, okay, but you answer that creature before he blows a fuse. Tony pattered away. Jenny took up the telephone. Hello, she said. This is... Lizette, listen carefully. I'll only explain this once. The voice was not Ted's. It was low and gruff, fearfully commanding. Lizette, can you hear me? Yes, she quavered. Yes, but... All right, now get this straight. Go to the laundromat, the Snow White. Do you know where that is? Yes. The time was past for telling him she was not Lizette. The woman, Danny Greer, left her suitcase there. I want it. You go to the Snow White and get it, then bring it down to the waterfront. Be sure you come down the stairs with a crowd, not alone. You don't want to be noticed. Put the suitcase back under the stairs then leave. Got it straight? I think so. Don't tell anybody where you're going, and don't bring anybody with you. There was a second's pause. If you double-cross me on this, you'll wish you hadn't, and you'll never live to identify me. Remember that. The only way we'll get along is for you to play ball. Understand? Yes. The little word was only a whisper, but he must have heard it, for the line went dead. Jenny let the receiver fall in place. She was oddly numb. Not frightened, just numb. Slowly she walked back to Sybil's room, her high heels tapping. In the room she closed the door, sat down on the end of the bed, and folded her hands. A beautiful girl in an orchid dress looked back at her from the mirror. The girl had just talked to Danny Greer's murderer. She stared into the mirror while the cold paralysis held her body and brain. One small thought broke through. Gordy was right. The murderer did believe that Lizette could identify him. So that put Lizette in the same peril Danny Greer had faced. And Danny was dead. The clock ticked busily through empty minutes. Time might be precious, for the man sounded as if he expected his order to be carried out instantly. Not that Jenny needed time to decide what to do. From almost the first minute, she knew. Liz was her best friend, her defender, and her rescuer times without number. Liz would be in very real danger if she were to take the suitcase down under the stairs, 
because the man might go back on his promise to play ball. After all, he had killed once, and to kill again would not make him any worse off than he was already. I can't, I simply can't, Jenny whispered. But this was a chance to do something for Lizette. The one-sided friendship would be well balanced, even tipped to Jenny's side, for nothing in the world was so important as saving a life, and that was what she would be doing for Liz. She herself would be in no danger. She didn't know the man. She jumped up and started to unzip the dress. But why take it off? She wouldn't be gone forever, and upon her return she would be ready to go out with Roger. He would have to wait a little, but he was used to waiting for Sybil, and she could ask Tony to explain. She couldn't. Don't tell anyone where you're going, the man had said. Glancing out of the window, she saw that the sidewalk was empty of everything except a few dragonflies darning a pattern over the petunias. A quarter to seven. Roger would come around seven. Being conditioned to Sybil, he would wait until half-past without getting the fidgets, and by that time Jenny would be back. She snatched the pretty beaded purse Sybil had lent her. In it were fifty cents on lend-lease from Evie, a lipstick, comb, handkerchief, and her rosary, all the temporal and spiritual insurance she would need for the evening. Tiptoeing out into the hall, as if she must sneak past a dozen spies, Jenny headed for the alley entrance. Voices came from rooms, but there was no one to see her. Perhaps no one would see her come back, either, and the secret of this great thing she was doing for Lizette would be her own until she would choose to tell it. Right at the doorway, she met Sister Simon coming in. Sister Simon took a second glance before she recognized the girl in the orchid dress. Jenny, how lovely you look. The color is heavenly on you. She paused then. Was she not saying the right thing? In the girl's eyes there was an expression of fear. She glanced at her watch. The time would have nothing to do with it. All the girls off duty were free in the evening. Thank you, sister, Jenny was murmuring. I... it isn't mine. I'm going... Goodbye, sister. Have a good time, dear. Is Lizette in her room? Yes, sister, but she's asleep. The nun on the steps watched the blonde hair flying as Jenny ran away down the alley toward the street. Some little mission she didn't want discovered. No doubt something so harmless you'd wonder why she had bothered to cover it up. Smiling to herself, Sister Simon walked down the alley past the emergency entrance and on across to the convent. She would have preferred to have her talk with Lizette but since it had been postponed, she was relieved. Tomorrow, perhaps, would be even better. She might not be so tired. There was still work that could be done, of course, paperwork at Bompedes. But where did duty end and martyrdom begin? She couldn't remember exactly when she had gone to recreation. Tonight, in the close family company of the nuns, she would forget the cares that nagged her, and finally she would be able to sleep. She was thinking about her crocheting as she climbed the steps to the lumberman's porch. In the chest in the recreation room, it seemed she had left it there. She couldn't remember exactly what she was making, either a doily or a chair cover, pineapple design for her niece, Betty. It didn't really matter. Betty was not likely to use it anyway in her modernistic living room. Simon? Old Sister Joe was getting up out of a rocker, leaving it to whack against another, coming forward with a step that shook the porch. She must have been waiting for me, Sister Simon thought. She wants to know more about the murder. The old nun took her by the arm. Sister, will you come with me to the mortuary? I must see her. See who, sister? 
Danny Greer. I can tell you about her. We wouldn't have to. The wrinkled face came closer, and the voice took on anxiety. I have permission, sister. Mother is so very kind. She says we may use the car. It's not only that you can drive, sister, but this morning you told me. I'm sure you told me about Danny. I couldn't forget that, could I, dear? Oh, no, no, I told you, Sister Simon replied quickly. She wanted nothing less than to go to Henry Waddy's and look at a dead woman, but she added, making the gesture that would explain her words, I'll have to change into my black habit, sister. The old nun nodded. I didn't do anything for her when she asked me to, dear. You see, I thought when we could talk, well, we never can now, but I'd like to pay my respects to her. You understand, sister? Oh, of course, Sister Simon answered, unpinning a sleeve. She was Damien when she was with us, Sister Joe remarked. The pin bit into the young nun's thumb. I knew she wouldn't stay. Even without the fire, she wouldn't have stayed. Now run along, dear. Mother won't like it if we're out too late. With her thumb in her mouth, Sister Simon hurried into the cloister. The Snow White was a bedlam of thunderously churning machines when Jenny entered and sidled up to the counter. In the steamy rear, a dozen women shouted companionably at one another as they stepped around piles of laundry. The girl attendant looked as if she had just been lifted out of a hot tub, clothes and all. She pushed a pad and pencil toward Jenny. Write it. What? Name. I can't hear nothing above the machines. Saves a lot of time if you write your name. Jenny's heart gave a fearful leap. The man hadn't mentioned a name. If she were to say Danny Greer, and the girl had read the papers, and who hadn't, she would most likely call the police. The girl swiped her face with the back of her wrist and leaned over the counter. That's sure a pretty dress, but it won't wash. I don't buy nothing won't wash. Only I'd sure like something like that. Thank you, Jenny said. I'm after a suitcase. A what? Suitcase. I'm calling for it. The woman can't come. The girl swiped her face with the other wrist. They don't generally put their stuff in suitcases. Must be something the boss took in. Please look, Jenny begged. I promised I'd get it. The girl drooped down under the counter, reappearing almost immediately with a small tweed paper suitcase. That's it. Only one we got. Oh, that's it, Jenny exclaimed. This was the one Liz had described, tweedy and poor. Thank you so much. Wait a minute. Let's see how much I collect. Collect? We ain't in business for fun, ma'am. Jenny knew a moment of panic then. She had fifty cents. What if the charge should be more? Was the whole success of this mission, Lizette's very life, to hang on a few cents she didn't have? The girl found a slip of paper stuck to the side of the suitcase read it, and shrugged. No charge. He must have felt soft-hearted for some reason. Well, there you go. She pushed the suitcase across the counter. Jenny grabbed the small handle. I just don't know how to thank you. Don't bother. I ain't used to it, the girl smiled. You've been in here before with another student nurse. Real cute. That's Lizette. Goodbye, and thanks again. Going out on a date, huh? Have fun. Oh, I will. Out on the sidewalk, Jenny wondered briefly how the girl knew they were nurses. Started to run, then slowed to a walk. People would look at her dashing by. She must be inconspicuous, stay with this crowd, 
and perhaps when they reached the boat company's big building, enough of them would go down the stairs to make a cover for her. She had obeyed orders, to the letter, thus far, and it hadn't been so difficult. She felt strong and courageous when, at the top of the stairs, she looked down on the river park. Mr. Waddy knew he should go home. Twice since six o'clock Mrs. Waddy had called, urging him to end his long day. He would have done so gladly if it weren't for his conviction that he would only carry his restlessness home with him, and he couldn't face a new frontier of sympathy. The boys had borne with his anxieties all day, kindly and for the most part wordlessly, but they had shown their concern. Ted, for instance, had rushed back on his supper break, stood on one leg for a moment before Mr. Waddy, and then dashed to the kitchenette to start the percolator. Snodgrass had been brewing coffee all afternoon, and Mr. Waddy had meekly drunk so much that by the time Ted came in with his tray he had worked up quite a case of sour stomach, but he couldn't turn the boy down. Susan, whose mind was normally on something entirely extracurricular, even forgot to repair her lipstick. Mr. Waddy hadn't been so fortunate in keeping secretaries. They were all either too thrilled or too awed by the surroundings. But Susan Chapin had been here quite a while now. She was a good girl. Each time Mr. Waddy entered the office today, her fingers would trip over the statements he was typing, and her large eyes would fasten on him, brimming with concern. At five o'clock, however, Susan departed. Snodgrass disappeared, and the place became so quiet that the old gentleman, who had been longing for solitude, found he could not bear his own company. It was around 7.15 when he wandered through the hall, past the preparation room and the kitchenette, and out into the garage. Young Lombard was there, shining up the hearse, although his hours of duty were over long ago. He waved to Mr. Waddy with an alert air of fellow-feeling. They wanted to help, all of them. The old gentleman's vision clouded a little. He certainly explained as soon as possible. "'Very nice, Jean,' he said. "'Don't forget the steering wheel. We must have it all perfect for tomorrow.' "'For tomorrow. For Danny. He had been saying things like that all day. Really, he must be quite a trial to have around.' Very quietly, so as not to arouse Snodgrass with another cup of coffee, Mr. Waddy re-entered the passageway, went safely past the kitchenette, and reached the front lobby. Two nuns, one extremely tall and broad and old, the other young and pretty, stood just inside the front door. They were all in black, even their hands, and their white coughs made shadows around their faces. "'Yes, good evening, sisters,' Mr. Waddy said. He had the queer feeling that this had happened before long ago. "'I am Sister Mary Joseph,' the tall one said very loudly. Deaf, of course. "'This is Sister Mary Simon. We have come to pay our respects to Damien.' "'Danny Greer,' the younger nun added. It was fitting that nuns should come to pray for Danny, so fitting that Mr. Waddy didn't waste a wonder on the new name. Not exactly new, either. Like the appearance of the tall sister, it rang a faint bell.' He opened the door of the small room, snapped on a shaded lamp, and stood aside. They went straight to the casket and knelt. Mr. Waddy folded his hands. Danny looked so young. Perhaps all the soft pink helped the illusion. But it was the way he had laid her out, too, giving that tiny tilt to her head that no one had ever discovered, and yet it made all the difference between funereal stiffness and the impression of natural sleep. The tall nun, Sister Joseph, rose from her knees. She had been crying. Mr. Waddy liked her for it. "'Poor Damien. I know her anywhere,' she said. "'She had a beautiful life. You can tell that. 
she made no mistake leaving us the memory snapped to the surface of mr waddy's muddled mind of course you were the mother superior then i remember he held out his hand sister joe smiled a miracle of wrinkled pleasure and took his hand in both of hers you've done a beautiful job mr waddy why she looks as young as the day she entered the convent mr waddy smiled tremulously she seemed to be so uncertain while she was with us the old nun went on and her eyes returned to danny the younger one still knelt she didn't belong in the convent i knew it but she had to find out for herself girls come in for all kinds of reasons besides the right one and they always find out she had been disappointed in love i know mr waddy said you remember elizabeth i never thought she was quite fair to damien she didn't like steve you know she thought he was near do well and of course he was so she told damien that steve was about to marry someone else you never heard whether he actually did i suppose sister joseph was looking at him and mr waddy shook his head his hands clasped behind him were wet with perspiration well it might not have worked out anyway so much tragedy all related somehow to steve you have to wonder sometimes why the lord permits these things to happen not steve mr waddy said steve wasn't good sister joseph went right on not having heard him i've often thought how providential it was that elizabeth brought the baby to the convent that day if she hadn't the child would surely have been burned up with her you know diane a beautiful girl i gave damien permission to keep her for the day as it happened she kept her for twenty-one years a wonderful sacrifice the old gentleman murmured the sister must have read his lips for she replied not a sacrifice in the ordinary sense mr waddy there was nothing damien wanted when she couldn't have steve that was why she entered the convent and it was why she left the baby took steve's place in her heart sister joe paused i've been looking over my old scrapbook you see and it's all back with me so clearly the hunting accident that was the beginning perhaps nothing would have happened if they hadn't gone hunting that time perhaps not mr waddy whispered sister simon crossed herself and rose from her knees yes we must go sister joseph said in her customary boom thank you for your kindness sir not at all mr waddy bowing stood aside could one of the boys give you a ride home the old nun's eyes twinkled in the hearse sir thank you no i'll be in it soon enough we have our own car mr waddy murmured politely and went through his usual handshaking but when he had closed the outer door behind the nuns he sat down on the first chair he could reach once on a country hike he had been caught in a hailstorm and the effect of being pelted with ice was like this he had crawled into a thicket and the tangle of branches had somewhat broken the battering downfall there was no thicket here voices sounded from the direction of the kitchenette something about coffee mr waddy got to his feet and went as quickly as he could manage up the stairs to his office it was cold and dusky there tranquil as a woodsy dell buzzing the house phone he told snodgrass in the kitchen that he and young lombard might leave now no indeed there was nothing more for them to do he himself would be here until ted benedict returned at eleven then he sat down at his desk snapped on a light and opened his bible 
how long ye simple ones will ye love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge wise old solomon wearily mr waddy rubbed his hand over his eyes how long only until tomorrow morning ten o'clock even nine judge deaver was an early riser and wakely wouldn't dally about getting the court order pulling the telephone toward him mr waddy fingered the dial he dialed one number then broke the connection outside on the avenue lombard stalopi started up with a loud series of reports loyalty was a touching thing although sometimes misplaced again mr waddy picked up the phone and began to dial vince barron having about as rancid a nature as any human being ever possessed might not understand or appreciate loyalty but he had always leaned on it taken it as his right from his friend henry the bible had flipped shut mr waddy's eyes rested on the worn black cover in his ear the bell ringing in a far-off room made an insistent summons like a diver out of ocean depths lizette struggled out of sleep the ceiling light was on full in her eyes and someone was shaking her awake cut it out she mumbled leave me alone and she tried to roll over to bury her face in the pillow but the shaking went on liz wake up you've got to tell me where she is where who is jenny she's out on a date turn off that darn light liz she she didn't go out with roger come on wake up determined palms sopped her cheeks fighting them off lizette came awake tony was crouched on the side of the bed her round face anxious we can't find her anywhere liz she's gone out maybe she didn't like the looks of roger she didn't even take a peek at him i felt sorry for the poor guy stood up by two girls in one night he sat in the mushroom nearly an hour waiting and jenny didn't show up no and she looked absolutely ambrosial she was all ready when she came out to tony broke off as if someone had knocked her breathless came out to what tony to answer the phone oh liz that couldn't have anything to do with her disappearance could it chill fingers ran down lizette's spine maybe you better tell me the beginning the middle and the end what phone call it was for you i answered first who was it i don't know a man come to think about it i didn't like the sound of him one bit now don't imagine things tony lizette said sternly why didn't you call me because he left a note on the board no calls i let out one yell and jenny came running and said she'd take it and that's all that was all a call from a strange man who didn't sound nice and this afternoon there had been evie's talk about her brother-in-law's opinions and a heated discussion about friendship i'd do anything for liz jenny had said and tonight she was gone you're thinking something liz tony accused you're scared what is there to be scared of lizette asked but she jumped out of bed and began to gather clothes what time is it almost ten thirty she goes on duty at eleven i bet she's in sybil's room right now getting dressed she doesn't want to disturb me she isn't there maybe she left a note for me out on the board no i looked try over on the desk tony bounced across the room i don't see anything boy what a mess she paused frowning liz i just thought of something if she took off the orchid dress 
wouldn't that mean, well, she didn't intend to come back? Lizette, rummaging in a drawer for a clean slip, sat back on her heels. Possibly, but where would she go? Tony gave a large shrug. Sybil isn't in yet either. I'll scan her closet. Grab me a cap from somebody, too, will you? Mine has spinach on it. Tony bounded away. Lizette began to put the buttons in a fresh uniform. But her fingers trembled so badly she made slow headway, and a peculiar emptiness began to stir the pit of her stomach. Would it bode ill or good if the orchid dress was in the closet? Not there, Tony reported, coming in to toss the cap on the bed. That's one of mine. Then she'll be back. She'd never risk a demerit for being late, much less a whole flock of them for absence. Not with the queen business coming up, Tony agreed. Why didn't we think of that before? The assurance, however, had worn thin by the time Lizette reached the nurse's station on pediatrics. There had been no telephone call from Jenny, frantically begging that Liz cover up for her until she could arrive. No note found hidden under a pillow or under the dresser scarf or pinned to the stuffed rooster. Lizette tried to work up a defensive impatience over Jenny's non-appearance. Anything was better than the fear that swelled and grew with every minute. Poppy, going over the charts with the relief nurse, merely glanced up as Lizette came in. You're on the small end tonight, Carter. I'll let Johnson take the big kids. Lizette nodded and said something. She and the aide could do all right, since most of the young patients were asleep. Jenny would appear with an armful of diapers, and the only reprimand would be for not reporting to the station when she came on duty. With any luck, it wouldn't occur to Poppy to inquire when she actually had come. But a half hour went by, and Lizette finally met Poppy, head on in the utility room. Poppy came straight to the point. Where's Johnson? Jenny? Virginia, your dear friend and roommate, I'm sure I'd have noticed if she was here. Something would have gone wrong. Is she sick? No. Anyway, I don't think so. Just having herself a night off? Looky, this idea of putting in extra hours was hers, not mine, and I'm depending on her. I told the A with a drinking husband not to come tonight. I'm sorry, Poppy, but Jenny'll get here. Well, if I have to dig her up, she's going to get a demerit. Poppy filled a hot water bottle and tipped it expertly to expel the air. Lizette, watching the water rise in the neck, made a sudden decision. She's gone, Poppy. Come again? She got all dressed up for a date, and then she disappeared. Got scared of the guy? Well, if that's it, we won't be too hard on her. I sure remember my first glimpse of the character I married. Poppy slapped the bottle. But with Jenny, that gooseberry festival is so all-fired important. Blueberry. I could keep her from even seeing a blueberry for this performance. It would break her heart, Poppy. I know it. Well, let's make up a quick novena of nine minutes. See if St. Anthony can put a bug in her ear. I can't give her much longer. Midnight? Okay, midnight. Poppy, you're a friend in need. It's my Irish grandmother. But midnight came and passed, and no one but an orderly came through the swinging door to pediatrics. Poppy, meeting Lizette at the station desk, glanced up at the clock. Time's run out, Liz. Five after. What will we do? Call the nurses home. I don't think she's there, but try. It'll be less official coming from you. Lizette made the call. Neither of them was surprised when a sleepy girl said no. Jenny hadn't come back. 
Poppy picked up a pencil and tapped on the desk absently. I could wring her neck sometimes, she said slowly, but you've got to admit she's the soul of faithfulness. Something big, fat, and important has sure come up, bigger in the gooseberries. The question is, what? Poppy, she took a telephone call for me, from a man. Swiped a date on you, you mean? Not like that. Tony said he didn't sound a bit nice, but Jenny talked to him, and that's the last anybody saw of her. Poppy leaned forward, her knees spread, and a button skipped off her uniform and across the floor. Liz, we might as well face it. Last night a woman was killed here. Tonight a girl's missing. Maybe they have nothing to do with each other, but... She spread her hands eloquently. If Jenny's, well, in trouble, then the demerit won't count. And if she isn't, she deserves one. I'll give Simon a jingle. Lizette stretched after the button, and her face was hidden from Poppy. Does it have to be? I mean, why not the police? Oh, ducky, sister would never forgive the slight to her authority if I called the cops on my own. You'll wake the whole convent. So what? Poppy reached for the phone. Down the hall, a child cried. Lizette jumped up. There's that little Phelps demon. I'd better get him quick. Poppy, make it as light as you can, won't you? But Lizette knew, just as Poppy did, that the facts couldn't be lightened. For how could you minimize the fact that a girl who was the soul of faithfulness, who wouldn't risk her cherished reign as Blueberry Queen for anything in the world, that girl had thrown faithfulness and caution to the winds and was unaccountably missing. End of chapter 9